Thank you and Crystal for the song. Amen. Thank you for your heart. Well, Chicagoland, Happy New Year. The title of the message this morning is, Let's Finish Our Lives Well. Let's, let's Finish Our Lives Well. It's taken from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Have you given any serious thought about your life message yet? What will be your legacy? What will people say about you when you're dead and gone? What do people say about your life now? Because I believe it's important. It's very important to God. You know, you look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. God says, um, we're salt, we're salt of the earth. Verse 14 says that we're, we're the light of the world. The way we live our lives is very important. And so to live our lives any less um, would be a real disappointment. God wants our best. Some of us need to resist the temptation to just sort of float through life. You know, not really stretching out, not really giving your best, giving your all uh, for God's glory. And God has equipped us to, to uh, give our best to him. He wants to. Our life is a, uh, it's a gift from God. It's precious. It's the only life we have. After we die, that's it in terms of uh, living here. Scripture says in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, this is from the parable of the faithful steward. It says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. Faithful stewardship in our lives is required. And how appropriate to talk about this this morning as we uh, begin this new year. This is January 1st, 2017. Many of us, um, you know, have New Year resolutions. And, you know, uh, we want to set goals for ourselves because, you know, basically we want to do better. We want to do better than last year. So I believe this message would be very appropriate to, uh, to respond and kind. I pray that this message would really encourage us to give our all to God, to not be afraid, uh, not to be afraid of failure and things of that nature, but to give it our best, give it our all to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, be, get involved, get involved in ministry, get involved in, um, you know, evangelism, get involved in studying the word of God, you know, wanting to know him better. Get involved in how can I benefit the body of Christ? That should be our heart motivation. And I pray that we realize this. Amen. So let, let, let's pray. 
God, I, I do pray that, Lord, this message would really encourage the church here to, um, to give our all. We need one another in the body of Christ. We need to function the way you've designed us to. I pray that from this point on, pray that we not let fear or anything else hinder us from shining the way you want us to shine. And I pray that the message here would encourage us to do just that. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's look at Paul's life. He says here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, it says, Timothy, or, uh, Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Amen? As Paul neared the end of his life in a Roman prison, he was able to look back at his life without having any regret. Imagine that. There may be some of us here um, that are experiencing regret in your lives. As you look back at maybe the year, this past year, 2016, you may have some regret or some remorse in your life. You know, let's be honest with ourselves. If there is regret and remorse in our lives, we need to do something about that. We need to get that right with God right away. And don't let that, don't let that uh, hinder our relationship with God or hinder any future rewards that God would have in store for us. You know, so we need to do something about that. In, in uh, the verses that I just read, Paul examines his life from three perspectives. Number one, the present reality of the end of his life in which he was in chains in prison without any hope of deliverance. Number two, the past when he had been faithful. Number three, the future as he anticipated his heavenly reward. Okay, let's get started with this. Number one, the present reality of the end of his life. How can we finish our lives well? Okay, look at Paul's attitude, verse 6. For I am already. This means he knew he was going to die soon. He knew he was going to be killed. You know, Nero uh, had a plan to kill all the Christians. So Paul was in a very, very difficult situation. You may not be experiencing death in your situation, but perhaps you may be in a difficult situation right now. You haven't told anybody, maybe, but it's difficult. How are you handling that? 
Or how would you handle that if you were experiencing death? You know, uh, this could traumatize you, cause you to be really afraid, cause you to panic. Would you blame God for this? Would you say, God, why, why did you allow me to go through this? You know, get, get angry at God. You know? In fact, being, you know, a lot of times, being a Christian does not exclude us from problems, you know? So a lot of times we find ourselves in a lot of problems, maybe because of being a Christian. God allows problems in our lives so that we can learn to trust him. You know, several years ago, uh, I saw God close the door in my drafting and machine design career. See, I, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a car designer. And, um, you know, having grown up in Detroit, that was a perfect place for that to happen. Um, so I geared myself for that. I, I did really well in my drafting courses. I was pretty, pretty good in math. But I didn't have, to be honest with you, I didn't have confidence to go to college. So I compromised. I went to Detroit Engineering Institute. Well, that was mistake number one because um, I didn't realize the, the far-reaching implications of that. The school was not accredited. So that means that the grades that I had uh, would not be transferable to college. So you'd have to start all over again, basically. But, you know, I went forth and, uh, you know, uh, in 1976, I accepted Christ as a savior in my life and I wanted to grow spiritually. I couldn't find a church in Detroit. I, just, I decided to move here into Chicago and join my first church here began to grow. I was able to get uh, several jobs in my field, uh, draft, drafting and machine designing, but eventually those dried up, you know, because the field changed, the industry changed, and I sensed God didn't want me to pursue that anymore. And so I was discouraged. I was, uh, I was I was disappointed and I was scared because uh, I wasn't working for a time and um, I had to raise a family, um, had to pay a mortgage, you know, problems. How do you handle them? From being bounced around in life to experiencing marital problems to experiencing death in your families. You know, maybe some of you now are in very difficult situations and tempted in a number of ways like uh, getting discouraged, giving up, getting angry with God, getting angry at others. What do I do? How do I handle this? You may be asking. 
as we find ourselves in these situations, the question must be asked, where is God in my life in all this? Where have I placed God in my life? Who do I really love the most? Is it God or something else? Do I love to worry, really? Do I love my anger and lust and sin more than God? Because that's where I spend most of my time and belief. You know? Where is God in all this? Or do, do I really cry out to God? Is God first place in my life? Is the message of your heart, God, I don't know why you put me here. I don't know why this is happening. Or is it, Lord, I love you. God, I trust you. Lord, I don't know why this is happening. I, I, need, I need your perspective. I need your insight. I need your wisdom. Lord, I love you. I'm so glad that I'm on your team, God. Help me understand. Is that your heart? That's where I'm at, Chicago. That's my heart. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It also says uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, 5 and 6, make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Amen. Now go back to Paul. He continues by saying, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. You know, in the Old Testament system, this was the final offering following the burnt and grain offering. You know, people, uh, the people of Israel, uh, you know, knew about this. Numbers uh, 15 verses 1 through 16. But what this mean, what this meant was Paul saw his coming death as a final offering to God. In a life already spent in sacrifice to him. That's how he viewed it. Amen? God was number one in Paul's heart. And so because of that, even though he faced death and he was in chains, dire situation, he didn't, he didn't panic, he didn't fall apart because where he was at here and here, his heart and his thinking were focused on the Lord. Paul held nothing back in his life. Paul gave his all to God. And so because of that, many benefited from Paul's life. What about you? As we start this new year, 2017, what can you give to God? How can you give yourself in this new year? Not out of duty, not out of the thought of, well, it's expected of me. 
but out of a real, genuine love for God. That's what this is all about. It's out of a genuine love for God that I, I give my all to the Lord. Because you understand and realize my life is a gift. And I'm born again. And I've got to do something for the Lord. I got to, I got to do something to advance the kingdom. I got to do so I have gifts and abilities that Lord you want me to use. Amen. So that should be our, our motivation. That should be our drive. That should be what we fulfill in our lives based on what we know. Uh, what, what our calling is in life. You know, I, and so with that, I'm willing to preach more. Um, this is a step of faith for me. You know, uh, there's fears and trepidation here. I look at pastors, you know, he, every week, he shares the word of God. We've been here, we've merged, what, 1990? Every week he's preached, and even before the merge. And I think, how can you, how can I, how can you not, you know, uh, how can you do that? How can you not, not have anything to say? <laughs> you know? But God tells me in my heart, just trust me, Dougie. Just trust me. I'll tell you what to do. I'll lead you. I'll direct you. I'll show you what you need to do. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Chicago land for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will find it. Giving our all to Jesus. No fear, no shame. Just go out there. You make mistakes, make the mistakes. Grow, keep going. Don't stop. Don't try to save your life. That doesn't please God. Walk by faith. Paul, or look at Paul's attitude. He was at peace with himself and God. He gave his all to Jesus Christ, and he was full of joy. It was a joy, pure delight for Paul to intercede for fellow believers in prayer. Philippians chapter 1, verse 4, he says, I always always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Paul's attitude. Paul's joy was not tied up in his circumstances or his critics. Romans chapter 12, verse 12 says, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, or chapter 6, verse 10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. Paul endured the unjust accusations without bitterness at his accusers. 
I believe we can learn a lot from Paul here. How we handle difficulties in death, in facing death. How to live our lives well and how to end our lives well. How to live our lives with no regret. It's by seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Jesus promises us all these things will be added to us. God promises to us that he'll take good care of us. He'll see us through. God, though, wants us to always make him first in our lives. That's the key thing. Make God first in your life. In all that you do, make him first, which means obeying him, seeking to please him, seeking to worship him in my life. You do that, you'll be okay. Number two, how can I finish my life well? How can I finish my life well? Paul looked at his past when he had been faithful. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Have fought, have fight, have kept, or have finished. Have finished and have kept. This indicates completion. Paul completed the actions of faithfulness to God throughout his Christian life. Now, I believe as we really look at this, we can, we can agree with Paul that uh, he made a good investment of his life. You know, I uh, used to be in the stock club, and I learned, and we learned how to invest our monies well. Uh, we learned how to buy low and sell high. Amen. We learned how to study um, different companies, learn their trends, and evaluate them so that we can make the decision to invest our monies. We learned the peaks and valleys. When companies peak, that's a good time usually to sell. So those principles we learned Paul learned how to invest his life in eternal things, which is far better because those things don't, they don't fade away. Eternal things last forever. And Paul, was, his heart was in a good place. And not only that, it pleases God when we do that, and we'll have eternal rewards in heaven as well. If we invest our lives in kingdom work, like Paul did. Paul saw his life as complete. He had been able to accomplish all that God had called for him through the power of God's, through God's power, God's grace, his enablement. Paul saw himself as a, as a soldier. He saw himself as a soldier. Look at his attitude. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It says, he, he tells Timothy this. He says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. 
It's about being mentally tough, Chicagoan. It's about embracing the word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 5 say, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are, just, we are destroying speculations because of the word of God, because of aligning ourselves to the word. We are destroying speculations in every lofty thing that raises up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking, we are taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. Amen? You see that? Don't you love that? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 says, Fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That word fight has to deal with agonizing, anguish. It's used both in military terms and uh, athletic terms. You know, uh, I think of gymnast Simone Biles. Remember her? Cute little girl. She's really built, really built. Uh, last year, she won gold. Um, she was the 2060, 2016 Olympics all-around gold medal winner. And I remember watching her perform. Remember that? And uh, she, I mean, she nailed it. There were a few times, though, of struggle that I saw. But she was resolute. She didn't give in. And she won gold. You look at the preparation that everybody else, maybe all her friends, some of her friends went out partying. She didn't do that because she had something in mind. She practiced. She got herself in shape. You know, it has to do a lot with how, how you eat and how you sleep. It's your whole life. She prepared herself for the Olympic Games, and she won gold. And the same is true for us. To fight involves agonizing concentration, discipline, and extreme effort and desire in order to win. We got to want to win. We got to want to do that. We don't want second place. I want to win it. I want to win it all. Amen? I want to win the gold. The good fight of faith is the spiritual conflict with Satan's kingdom of darkness in which all of us as believers have to contend with. Again, just look back at what I just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 5, and 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul saw himself as an athlete. He saw himself as a soldier, and he saw himself as an athlete. As an athlete, you, can, you compete believing you're going to win. Don't live life defeated, Chicago land. Discipline ourselves to live a life in victory. Because we've already won the battle. 
1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27 says this. Listen to what it says. Do you not know that those who run in a race run all, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Look at Paul's heart. Amen? That's what God wants our attitudes to be in, in our life that he's given us. Number three, or the next part, Paul saw himself as a guardian. Paul saw himself as a guardian. He took, he took uh, the responsibility to defend, protect, and keep the truths of Scripture. He took that responsibility. He fought for the word of God. You know, error would come in. He made it his business to point people to truth. Amen? Protect the word of God. It says in Psalm 119, verse 160, the sum of your word is true. God's word is true. Protect the truth, Christians. Protect the truth as we live. Paul tells Timothy and us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, retain the standards of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 says, See to it that no one take you captive through philosophy and empty deception." according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. See that we don't get drifted away by believing all this stuff outside of Scripture. Number three, finish our lives well as we look to the future. Paul anticipated his heavenly reward. It says here in verse 8, in the future... There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Man, don't you love Paul's confidence? His confidence in an hour that he knew he was going to die. His confidence, period. Don't you just love that? Look what he says. He says, in the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And look, he says, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. He knew that God is a righteous judge, 
and I would get the crown of life. He was confident. He knew he was living his life right before God. He knew that. Amen. And so with that, he knew how to do it. Paul knew what he was called to do. At Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, when Paul was on the ground, remember that? When he, you know, before he was persecuting the church. It always it amazes me in that in there uh, it says, when God says, well, when God says, uh, Paul, Paul, you're, I forget exactly what it says, but you're persecuting me. And, and, and Paul says, who are you, Lord? That's the thing I was focusing on. Who are you, Lord? It seems like Paul was uh, barking up the wrong tree. And God knew his heart. I'm encouraged to know that God sees beyond what I do. He knows my heart. He knew Paul's heart. Even though Paul was dragging people out of their houses and arresting them, thinking that he was doing the right thing, God knew Paul's heart. Everybody else was afraid of him, but God knew. The same thing with us. Be comforted that even though we may be going through a lot of mess in our lives, and maybe we're, uh, you know, people will misunderstand us, all those things, just be blessed that, be encouraged that God knows our true heart. Be encouraged, that is, if you're wanting to do the right thing. Be convicted if you're not, <laughs> because God knows. And so Paul, you know, God uh, struck him with light. Remember? Blinded him. And God told Paul directly that he's Jesus who Paul was persecuting. And God tells Paul in verse 6 to get up and enter the city, you know, the city of Damascus. And and it will be told you what you must do. Amen? Boy, it's just amazing. But you should look at that again because, see, the men who were with Paul, they heard the same thing, but they, could, they didn't see anybody. <laughs> and they were amazed. But they led Paul to the rest of the way to, to Damascus. There in Damascus, a disciple named Ananias was told by God that he was to tell Paul <laughs> what to say, that, that he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear. Now, this is what God says about Paul, you know, his, his life message, what he was to do in his life. He is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. So that's what Ananias did. Also in Acts chapter 22, verses 14 through 16, it says, the God of our fathers has appointed you, Ananias is telling Paul this, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him 
to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Amen? What do you see here? God wanted Paul to uh, do something. He's, Paul, God was doing a new thing in Paul. And he told him uh, to get up. Doing a new thing. You know, um, I'm giving you a purpose to live life. I'm giving you a new purpose. So get up, Paul. I have work for you to do. Chicagoland. God has work for you to do. Get up if you've been sitting. Get up. God has work for you to do right now. How do we find God's call in our life? How do we do that? The number one thing, Chicagoland, is this. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. And that is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, loving God, loving others, ministry. The second thing in understanding your call in life is listen to God. Listen to God. John chapter 10, verse 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Listen to God and obey. Number three, seek God's kingdom. Get to know God and what his agenda is. Get to know God and what his agenda is. From that, we'll find out what God wants us to do individually. You look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 33. Next, deny yourself. Don't be selfish with your life. Don't let your emotions rule you. Deny it. Obey God not your emotions. Take up your cross daily and follow me. That's taken now again, taken from Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. And next, which is lastly on this, grow where you're planted. Just, just grow where you're planted. Be content where God has placed you in life right now. And, and serve God there. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 24. Talk about that. The crown here means a symbol of honor given to the winner in the Greek games. The crown of righteousness is a reward for, for faithfulness and is reserved for those who particularly love Christ's appearing. Paul's call was according to God's sovereign plan and purpose in his life. Paul was called an apostle. 
of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So Chicagoland, what does God want you to do? Let's obey the known will of God. Obey the known will of God and allow God to tell you specifically. You're not going to get it by just sitting and listening to messages. You got to get involved. You got to get involved in studying the word of God, prayer, loving others, uh, serving, meeting needs. Amen? As James says, chapter 1, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourself? Deceiving yourself? Deceiving? Deceiving? Deceiving yourself? Deceiving yourself? Be doers of the word and not hearers only. If you're here only, you're deceiving yourself. So be a doer by number one. Remember that God has called. Remember that God has a call on our lives, on your life. Remember that God has a call on your life. If you haven't done this yet, purpose this year to find out what God wants you to do. Like study the word of God. Study the word of God better. Get to know him better. Take time to know God in prayer. Spend time in prayer. Uh, spend time in making God known to others. Number two, be a doer by being willing to share Christ with non-believers. Consider joining us on Saturdays, Saturday afternoons, uh, every, every first and third Saturday of the month. You might be afraid to share and all that. Put that aside and just go and experience what that's like and just allow God to grow you in that area. Get involved. Number three, be open to disciple one person this year. Be open to do that. Look at a need and do something about it. Teach someone to study the word of God. Teach someone how to pray to God. Teach someone how to obey God. Now, you know, as you're teaching them, you got to be modeling that, too. That's good. That's good stuff, though, Chicagoland. That's what God wants us to do. And finally, be willing to serve others. Just be willing to serve. Purpose to grow in serving others. As God, ask God to help you. And trust me, he'll show you. So let's build on these things this year as we, as we continue to live. Let's build on this again as we look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the fight. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Amen, Chicagoland. Amen.